0: Weekly. It's episode 565. We are recording on April the 19th. And uh, yeah, Brianna, how's it going?
1: It's good. Back in New York. Enjoyed a nice week um, down south. And, you know, apparently brought the cold weather. It was like cold down there and now it's cold again in New York. But I know spring is just like right here. We're so close. I see the flowers blooming. Um, but yeah, just like glad to be back home and and getting into the groove of of work again. Um baseballs happening. The Braves are not so much, but yeah, life's good. How are things with you?
0: Yeah, a lot of the same. Like it's we've had like a great last week of weather up here in Toronto, like warm, sunny. You know, got a little cold snap in last night, so, you know, it's kind of, you know, back to sort of, you know, that it's spring it's up and down and all around right that's the typical weather you know here in the northeast and you know but uh yeah it's it's all fine and yes baseball's back my blue jays are doing okay i guess they're six and four you know so far on the first 10 games so that's not bad um so yeah i'm happy i got to go to a couple games already so
1: nice i'm excited to get out to um you know, a game here in New York at some point. Um, it's funny, like we have what, living in Atlanta. We always had these memes about like spring. Like this is the first spring. It's the second spring. It's like the third. Then you have the pollinating. So it's like there's always a cold snap in between there. Typically Easter is always freezing, and it's such a it's such a weird time. So I don't think it's exclusive to the Northeast this weather, but um, yeah. We're almost there. Home stretch.
0: So when you get out to the game, is that Yankees or Mets?
1: Mm, well, I'm not a big fan of either. Surprisingly, I would root for the Mets over the Yankees, even though they're in the same division as the Braves. Um, but I would love to go see either play. I mean,
0: I well, haven't... I guess technically the the Braves will come and play the Mets. You know, um, right? So that's probably the game you want to be at.
1: Yes, I will probably see that. And then, you know, maybe when the Dodgers come to town, I'll go I'll go cheer on Freddie.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, all righty, well, let's jump into our show. We've got four stories to cover this week. Uh, a lot of um, less brand stuff this week and more technical, I'll say, in terms of, you know, innovations and, and uh, you know, things happening. So I'll let you kick it off.
1: All right, so um, Hexagon, if you don't know them, they are a global leader in sensor software, autonomous solutions, um, you know, they work across like agriculture, automotive, telecom, um, and some other industries. You might know them of uh, their former life as Infor, uh, but they have acquired a Finland-based company called Immersal. And... Um, pretty cool they you know they build these immersive ar environments it's it's created through an sdk for mobile devices so they're bringing together the digital world and obviously the physical world and just you know hoping to like transform these experiences or you know even just like work in general if it's um being applied in more of a a business setting um, so, you know, again, this is based off of an SDK, it uses location, it has down to the centimeter accuracy, which is really cool. And any, you know, AR capable mobile devices can can use this and it can also be used on glasses. So like, you know, any of the smart glasses that you have access to. So really there's like creating these experiences, um, some for industrial, but mostly I would say, probably like geared towards experiential marketing so even though this is not a brand story, it could still be applied to brands. Um, so they, they you know, kind of referenced one of the, the test use cases that they've done. And they did one with, I, I believe, I never can say this company's name, right? It's Rakuten. 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 It always makes me think of um, the bad guy in Anastasia Rasputin. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, they they did this really cool like um, immersive experience at um, a football game in Japan. By football, I think they mean soccer here. But really, they they like were able to point the phone um, towards like you know people. They could they could watch the game and see the the statistics on specific players. Um, they could also get like commercial content through the the AR um overlay there and then the camera which is the really cool part about this like the camera would adjust to wherever you sat in the stadium so the the 3d visual map you know was based and identified the devices like orientation the location in the stadium so wherever you were you had a very unique perspective like based on what you see in real life um so i think this is like you know super cool ways of applying that. I like that they're thinking about this from an SDK perspective because I would say typically I'm not a big fan of like, oh, nobody wants another SDK. But I think the reality is is that nobody wants to be in charge of like creating their own immersive AR experience. And so if there's the technology that's foundational that they can build upon, that they can just embed in their apps um, and give give the fans, you know, this really cool experience that can be, um, rotated and changed, and um, you know, just bringing together those two worlds—it's pretty cool. So I, I, do like this acquisition. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we've seen other companies do this before in different ways. Um, so I don't think it's anything necessarily unique, but I do like how we're, ta- you know, we always talk about location, and this is definitely um, taking into consideration the location of the device, the location of the person. Um, and, you know, real-time events that are happening, so super cool.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this, it's very interesting, you know, as I was reading this story, in particular uh, around immersals technology, it brought me back in time to the early days of the LBMA, um and another company that we had done a lot of work with uh, called CrowdOptic. Uh, and they have very similar, um, you know, patents or technology you know, where you point the camera, it's based on, you know, the location, you know, in the stadium or wherever and the focal point of, you know, where the device is pointed and then kind of, you know, uh, reveals augmented reality content, you know, tied to, you know, the, you know, the point that the camera is situated on, the lens is situated on. So very similar. Uh, They also work in sports. Uh, Lately they've been doing more work in the medical side of things and, connectivity to Google glass and things like that. But I think, you know, the whole idea, generally speaking of, you know, sort of finding ways to uh, layer on, um, you know, AR content, if you will, um, you know, on top of real world locations and situations. I think uh, is is definitely a growing field. Uh, you know, obviously we talk we've been talking a lot about the metaverse lately, um, and I think kind of bringing those you know finding ways to bridge those those you know two worlds together. Even last week we talked about the story of the digital signage platform with the NFTs and the marketplaces, and trying to bring those things into screens in the physical world. So I think companies are trying different approaches uh, around this, and you know I think. This, this is, you know, a, a very valid one around, you know, creating experiences for people, you know, in particular, something like the example they gave around Kobe Stadium in, uh, in Japan, I think makes a ton of sense, right? Um, you know, it's all about how do you create a better fan experience and, you know, uh, get them engaged, um, you know, with content or, you know, contests or, or something that's happening. And I think if you can point your phone and do it that way through an sdk that's that's tied to it. it makes makes a ton of sense to me so yeah all right on to our second story now so there's an app out there if you're not familiar with it in, in the location world called tapestry and it's spelled uh, with an i on the end instead of a y and this is an app that pays users uh for sharing their anonymous location data and they just announced recently that they've surpassed Two hundred thousand dollars in user payouts since they launched in October. So six months or so of operations. Um, when a person signs up, basically they consent to sharing their location data, and they collect passively anonymous data without impacting. You know their SDK basically is is optimized for low impact on the device's battery life. Um, but the key here is is about the users, um, you know, who agree to this consent to this are incrementally paid, you know, for their data. You know, and, and you know, just as a general concept, we've been talking, you know, on this show, and, you know, in different ways about, you know, the idea of, you know, a user benefiting from the use of their data, you know, not just, you know, randomly collecting data, and you know, the ad company is monetizing that making a lot of money, but how does the actual end user you know benefit from that so this is a an approach that uh you know seems to be getting some decent adoption um they've um tracked two billion events so far uh in the last six months they say uh they're they're trying to build you know a, a, as large a, a mobile location library as possible um you know and you know with intention for ad tech use cases and and data you know location analytics use cases uh currently uh, it uh, originated only in the US they've since now expanded to include Australia Canada and New Zealand as well in terms of markets where they're collecting data and, and paying users um, and you know have plans for more so I, I think this is interesting I think this is a you know a good valid approach um, in order to sort of adjust around some of the things that you know have changed around the you know debt the IDFA and and other privacy uh, rules, but if you're gonna pay people for their data, then I I, I don't see any, I don't have any issues with that personally. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, Walter Harrison, who's the CEO of Tapestry, I've known him um, for many years back at his Complementix days. So I think it's, you know, we've seen other players try to get into this before. I think it was Killy that was there. Um, I don't know that they were successful in in what they did or if they're even still around. Um, But I do think that this is the right approach. I think the hardest piece of this is that adoption, right? Like if anybody else who had massive traction and, and users like a Facebook or even a device manufacturer decided to take this on, I think that it's a win. It's like an easy win. So I could see how there could potentially be like an acquisition in the future here to further develop this model or roll it into, um, you know, a place like to actually have the reach that they need to to make this adoption more massive. Because, you know, two billion data points over six months is not, you know, that's small compared to what people are looking for in terms of location data. So I don't think that the reach is there yet and it's been tried before so i'm hopeful for tapestry i i think that privacy first and being super straightforward with what you're doing for the consumers like what is the value exchange and it's pretty straightforward um is great but you know i'll i'll have to like continue to keep a pulse on this one and see if it actually takes off
0: yeah I completely agree with that it is you know, it, it's about explicit consent and it is about, you know, valuing the data and, you know, where it's coming from. And I think that uh, the approach is correct. You know, at the end of the day, all of these things come down to can you scale it enough that it's it's a viable, you know, for a, a viable data source for advertisers, you know, for folks that, you know, actually want to use the data. Um, but hey, it sounds like they're uh, they're making a good go of it so far and, you know, have big plans to expand this into Asia and other markets. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm cheering for Walter and, and company. So there you go.
1: There we go. Um, okay, so there's a recent patent that was filed. This is kind of interesting. Intel uh, filed a patent. Uh, looks like January of this year, and it's suggesting. Obviously, nothing is a done deal. A patent is a patent, but that there's a possibility of moving um, to a new offering with drones. Um, and, you know, doing digital out of home in a new way. So think of like moving billboards, you know, moving almost, um, you know, like screens that can display anywhere and, and amplify a message and change a message. So the methods that they've outlined in the patent actually involve drone projection systems. They capture data from a variety of sensors and then they can adjust what they are showing to the audience, move along with the audience, Um, you know, or if space is limited, they can scan the geometry of like an environment and adjust projection size to fit smaller areas. Um, Or multiple drones can work together and create, you know, maybe a backdrop and something that moves on top of that and um, do some like really cool, you know, more, I would say more than you're gonna see on just any digital signage that's outdoor um, and in real time. So I think it's super, cool idea um you know they were even saying that they could alter the content on the fly based on the crowd engagement you know are they engaging with this if not let's change it or who's in the audience kind of getting that demographic information um so they also had details about spatial audio systems potentially um so for like video ads ways to adjust the content the mood and general interests Um, So obviously, again, this is a patent filing. There's no real offering yet. They have been doing these drone light shows kind of as an environmentally friendly substitution for fireworks that cost anywhere, you know, from 100 to 300 grand. And then they're doing like these custom drone projects today um, that involve thousands of drones. But I think this is super interesting. Um, You know, I think that there's like, so much potential for this especially in arenas or um, you know in between different things uh, when you're walking through Times Square even like there's a lot of extra space with windows and this and that that they could be adding to the crazy amount of screens that are there Um, but being able to do that on any side of a building or kind of move based on what events are happening and time of day and who's there and crowd engagement, I think is super cool. I can definitely see this taking off, like pardon the pun here, but I think that it, it makes a lot of sense to be investing in drones as digital out of home. And think about all of the stories we talk about where you've got you know your Uber or Lyft drivers or the taxi cabs and they have that digital signage that moves around with them. They pay those drivers And that's one aspect, right? But this is reaching a lot more people at once and they're able to really alter that content. So it's not necessarily, it's almost like programmatic in a way that they can do that based on real-time engagement. So um, this is cool. What do you think?
0: Very cool. It's uh, it's so funny because I, I found this story and then I was reading through it and like literally... My son and I were having a conversation about two weeks ago, and he's like, "You know, when when do you think there'll be like, you know, a billboard that like a drone will just fly in and like, you know, have content?" And I was like, "Um, "I don't know. I can see it happening," is what I said. And then here I'm reading about a patent for this and whatnot. So, yeah, I I think it's um, it's it's fascinating. I think it has massive potential. I could see definitely in arenas and sporting settings. You know. I see this but even like I mean you know if if it got to the point where the content could be really personalized or or you know truly hyper local based on who's around I mean picture you're driving on a highway and you got the the normal digital out of home signage along the edge of the highway but now you know you're driving a Mercedes and you know this this flying billboard's going to like fall like just follow in front of your car you know promoting BMW or something like I mean That seems aggressive to me, but at the same time seems very logical and possible, Um, you know, when you think about drone, you know, drone billboards and and what's possible there, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I've seen the light show things uh, where they kind of take hundreds of them, put them together and, and, you know, create really cool light show experiences. Uh, I know Disney has been doing some of that at their theme parks and whatnot. Um, And it's really cool. But, you know, the idea of... You know a hundred uh drones coming together bringing screens into like a makeshift jumbotron or splitting off and like you know just these two screens are flying over you know this this part of a stadium or whatever like i think it's pretty interesting um and i think it has a lot of potential right to change you know how uh location-based advertising in the sense of digital out of home happens um in many many situations so um yeah, I I I'm very intrigued to follow like how that's going to develop and commercialize into into offerings and you know whether Intel will just, you know, try to sort of capture that market as something that they offer on their own or they license the technology out to, you know, sort of more traditional out of home companies.
1: Yep. Gotta stay tuned on this one. And just because they have a patent doesn't mean that there's not gonna be someone else who comes along and figures out a different way of doing it and offering yep. it. So for sure.
0: All right, our final story sticking with uh, tech innovation here, Google uh, never standing still has uh, a new radar sensor that is used uh, or could be used uh, at some point to detect presence um, uh, around digital out of home or screens. So it's a like human interface technology, um, essentially that, um, you know, is is uses radar. Um, And it's not the kind of radar that we're all familiar with, this is, um, you know, the kind of uh, radar that uses electromagnetic waves to pick up, you know, gestures and movements in proximity to, you know, a device. So it's kind of described a little bit as, you know, sort of a instead of like thinking about Alexa or Siri that responds to voice. This is a device that responds to, you know, movements and gestures and, you know, eye movement, you know, around it and is able to then, you know, sort of um, act based on on what's going on. So they give examples of, you know, it might be able to turn off your TV if you fall asleep, you know, laying down on the couch, um, you know, things like that. Um, And it's not brand, brand new. They've been playing around with similar technology since 2015. They have a, a technology called Soli um which has been working in in pixel phones um uh, for a little while to to do some things but i think this is interesting because you know you could you know if you think about it in the context of alexa and the way that works with voice and you can set up routines and things like that for it to complete certain tasks um you know and and you know you have the ability now with something like this to do similar types of things based on movement and gesture and and what's happening i think it's kind of interesting right and and the applications for out of home i think are you know equally um you know valid here right like if it's if it's able to read if it's embedded in a screen and, and it's able to read eye movements and you can tell whether people somebody somebody's engaged with the content or not engaged with the content you know or you give people the ability to like swipe through things you know on the screen and, and react to that um, i think there's a lot of um, a lot of possibilities here as well. So it's great to see like, you know, whether it's Intel or Google or, you know, whoever now, like, you know, we're seeing sort of a new wave now of uh, technological innovation and, and, and patents being filed and, and, you know, different ways to leverage, you know, old technologies, you know, like screens that have been around for a while and kind of change the game around that. And even as you, as we think about, you know, even the story, the first story about uh, Imercel, um, you know, in Hexagon, you know, similarly, if you were to combine some of these technologies, um, you know, for example, bring the drone screens in with, you know, the AR content that's tied to, you know, location in a stadium, you know, or, you know, I- enable people to react using gestures or something like that. All of these things could actually come all together, um, you know, and, and interact in different ways for, you know, ad plays or content plays. So I, I think it's, it's very, very interesting to see where we're at on how um, new technologies are making their way into, into our industry. What do you think?
1: You know, I, what I like about this is that it doesn't, this technology, like the radar doesn't need to capture images of, you know your body or your face. Face it's not that facial recognition or your you know feature recognition. And I think that to me that is like a very um, great way to use just body language and movement without feeling invasive. So understanding like hey there's presence in this room. I'm going to turn the lights on or I'm going to turn the lights off. There's not presence in this room or um, you know just other. I'm sure there's tons of applications that I can't even think of today where this would be. Um, you know, just super applicable, whether even maybe in like industrial situations or hospital situations or other things like that, right? And adjusting what's happening around based on just the movement of people, right? So um, you know, and also my my question is like with so many um like smart cities and things of that nature. Is there a way to use this type of technology to maybe monitor when something is off, like with somebody like there, there's abnormal movement, right. Or there's abnormal, something that's happening to kind of give like that forewarning, (laughs) Hey, something's not right. Or like, this is not considered normal behavior or patterns um, in a very non-invasive way. Right. So I think that this is like just scratching the surface and who knows? I mean, it's like, Less minority report, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, essentially, but still well, has I, lots I of think good. That's output. fair, right? Um, and they say like the the current like version of this, the solely technology is uh, has a three meter range uh, around picking up, you know, sort of what's going on around it. Uh, but they also say like it's it's quite possible and easily done to, you know, create a mesh, um, you know, version of this where there's multiple sort of sensors that, you know, can basically give you coverage across an entire home or office or, you know, hospital or what have you. So, um, I think there's a a lot of potential for for this type of technology. It's very interesting. One
1: to watch.
0: One to watch. There you go. So that's it. That's our show for this week. Four great stories. A lot of interesting new technologies coming uh, into the location-based ecosystem. And we thank you, as always, for listening and watching. It's been episode number 565, and we'll be back next week with a new show. Uh, Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye.